0: Anyway, I hope you're well and feeling good. Thanks for being with us. We're in a series taken from a chaplain who worked with hospice patients. These are people who are terminally ill and have just either days or weeks to live. And the whole principle for this series was, what regrets do these people have? What is it they wish they had done different with their lives now that their lives are in the final moments before death? You know, when you know you've only got a couple of weeks to live, you can get real focused. You're not worrying about the house up at the lake. You're not worried about your boat. You're not worried about how come the cowboy defense didn't show up. I know. I know. I mean, there's just a lot of trivial stuff you don't care about. You suddenly focus on what's really important about life. So we've got a lot to learn from these folks and from a chaplain who worked with them. Last week, we talked about one of the regrets was failing to take more risks. You know, fear, fear that if I take that challenge, I might have less. I might not do as well. I might, I might fail. And we said, fear doesn't keep you from dying. Fear keeps you from living. And so, God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you missed it, I urge you. I mean, once in a while, I crack a home run. That one's a great one. Get it. It's in the bookstore. Okay. Now, today, if you're with me, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. (laughs) I have a few friends in here who really don't worry about their body. I do. I do worry about them, but they don't seem to worry at all. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds all of them. Aren't you much more valuable than a bird? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? We would live forever if that were true, right? Yeah, everybody in here, if worrying would add an hour to our lives, our life expectancy would be forever. Now, he says, why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon, in all of his glory, was dressed up like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes grass, which is here today, not not that kind of grass, but just grass. (laughs) Got to be careful today. You don't know. What words mean what to everybody? And tomorrow it's thrown in the fire. Will He not much more clothe you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all this stuff. And your heavenly Father is well aware you need them, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's a question. Are you here? I mean, I can see you, so I know you're here physically, but are you really here? I mean, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, you've, everybody in marriage has faced that one. Uh, maybe you're thinking about uh, how you wish you had had another cup of coffee before you came to church, or maybe you're replaying a tough conversation you either had yesterday or you're going to have to have Monday, or maybe you're thinking about what you had planned for the rest of the day. You know, it's funny, but I'm sitting here, and I can mentally multitask five or six things while I am talking to you. Yeah, I pinched a nerve in my hip, and that sucker is hurting. Wouldn't you know, coming back from Virginia— that in every airport I went through with mile-long corridors, all the moving sidewalks weren't moving. Yeah. Joy to the world. Yeah. So I'm sitting up here preaching to you thinking, I really want that shot Tuesday morning at 940 to kill that pain. I, and, I, and I'm thinking about a national pastor who just called me and said, i got to call you Monday, and we got a, a real problem at eat, I'm thinking about wondering what that is. Meanwhile, I'm talking to you, but I, so you can be here and not here, you know what I'm saying? we can all do that. All right. Wives certainly know that about husbands. So, in this sermon, you don't have to be so emphatic about it. So, in this sermon, don't you love this church because it's really naked transparent, okay? Nobody's faking anybody. We're all in this to grow and learn together. So, in this series, we're seeing what lessons we can learn from those whose days are numbered And hospice patients, as they approach the end of their lives, what do they say they would have done differently? What would they change to make their lives more fulfilling and more meaningful? So today, the lesson is about being present, about being here. Now, it sounds easy, doesn't it? To be present, all you got to do is be present. Not much else to it, is there, Rick? But we all know differently. Stacy Padrick, who wrote an article about attentiveness— Defines paying attention as being mentally, spiritually, and emotionally present with whomever we are physically present with. That could be our kids, a spouse, uh, an employee, uh, or or somebody that you love or that you need. It involves making sure that our focus is fully on the other person instead of giving into all the distractions around us. I mean, there's lots of noise. I mean the TV and people and stuff and your computer, there's just, it's a noisy world we live in today. And that's kind of hard to do, see? I, I find it easier to let my mind wander away when talking to somebody, formulating what I'm gonna say next, daydreaming about some experience I had or I'm looking forward to like that shot, adding, <laughs> adding things to my mental to-do list. It's called mental multitasking. And boy, that stuff is hard. And it keeps us from being fully present with the person right in front of us. I mean, our kids will walk in, or our wife will walk in. It's, you got the whole evening to say something. But no, it's going to be fourth down and one on, on, on the 12. The clock's ticking. Your wife gets a call. She comes, honey. It's and in that moment, you have a choice to be present or pretend you're present and not be, or your child wants something, and it's easy to be so distracted and not look them right in the eye, what do you need, honey? What is it? I mean, go to mute, or today you've got the—you can make your TV record while it's off, but I cut the thing down. If I miss mute, I cut it all the way down, turn around in the chair, and listen. I didn't do that early in life. Never been taught that. Would the security please take this woman in the pink out the door over there? This is not, all messages are not easy, you know, because they affect all of us. I'm good at some stuff, but some stuff I'm not really good at. So, that's one of the things hospice patients said they would change. Rather than dwelling on the past or worrying about the future, they would have spent more time in the moment, right now, savoring that moment, enjoying the day God had given them because each day we have, honestly, is a gift from God. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're missing out on something beautiful. That's a fact. You, some of you people in hospice love to see another day you appreciate a day. I had a friend who uh, two years ago went to the Grand Canyon with his family, and I I was excited to talk to him when he got back, so I wanted to hear about the trip. So we went out and sat down at lunch, and I said, so what was it like to be right there on the rim of the great Grand Canyon, a mile deep, an incredible gorge in the earth? He says, hey, let me show you some of the pictures. So he pulled out his smartphone, and he rolled out uh, his list of, I guess, a hundred or more pictures, I looked at a bunch of them, and I said, but, but how did it feel? And I'll never forget, he said, I don't really know. I was too busy taking pictures. <laughs> he, you spend so much time trying to preserve a moment, you don't stop and enjoy it. Our days are a gift to be enjoyed, preserved. In the early days, when I traveled like 10 million miles all over the face of this earth, People would say, well, how was that nation, and how was that nation? And I remember thinking, well, all I saw was the airport, a hotel room, and bed, and a car trip to the church or the conference. I wouldn't, en- I wouldn't enjoy in the moment of being in Paris and the Eiffel Tower or being in Cape Town and looking at the white sharks, the great white sharks, or, or some of these, inter- or the great diamond mines. Now, I do that now. I make sure I'm going to have a day to do something. It sees something that's part of the beauty or something strange about and enjoy the moment and just thank God I'm there. I was thinking about that the other day. I was sitting up there in Virginia Beach waiting to go to the, the celebration for Steve Kelly. And I remember looking out the ocean and I was preparing this message. And I remember thinking, Lord, thank you for all the moments of all the world. I've been privileged to see more of this world than Jesus saw because he only went 200 miles. I've been able to see more than most people see in a lifetime, and sometimes I'm so busy doing it and flying, I don't enjoy it or express gratitude that I get to see so much of the world. You know, when I met my wife, she'd never been out of town, but you come a long way, baby, in the right direction. I strapped her into the cockpit, and we started traveling the world, so she's got a big experience, but I thought, what a privilege. What a privilege to see what a lot of people don't get to see. Man, I was just... For a moment, just filled with gratitude and just wanted to tell God how much I appreciate every day I've had and the interesting people I've been able to meet. Every, every day, just a wonderful day. You know, in the very beginning of the Bible, way back, Genesis, God tells us that He said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God separated light from darkness, creating day and night. Now by doing that, God gave us a way to tell time. Before God made light, there wasn't any way of knowing what time it was. And imagine, existence might have gone on and on and on like Lord of the Rings movies forever. But God created light and gave us the the concept of a day as a separate entity from the night. That was our first gift from God. The psalmist puts it this way. He understood that, that the creation of the day was an amazing gift to be celebrated. Psalms 84, he says to, to God, better is one day in your court than a thousand anywhere else. Psalms 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You only got a few, folks, and you know, we're cashing one in today. Celebrate, savor those days and moments. You don't want to be on a bedpan in a nursing home wishing, if only if only. I wish I'd I wish I'd gone to the kids' soccer games. I wish I'd showed up. I was too busy in business, too busy d- making deals. I just let other valuable things go, and then you have a life of regret. Here's a familiar passage, Psalms 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I wish, like you, that verse read a little different, because not every day is an easy day to rejoice in, is it? But this verse says, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not after it, not in spite of it, but in it. It would sure make life a lot easier if he had done that. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad it's over. (laughs) Had a few of those, but it doesn't say that. That verse means rejoice in every day. Divorce days, final exam days, surgery days, tax days, every day is worthy of our joy and attention, and so is every person. You know, I don't get the impression Jesus ever had this problem. I got a feeling that He enjoyed every day, and the people speaking to Jesus had His full attention, and they felt it. You know, the woman at the well, the man who was blind from birth sitting by the road, the Pharisees offering him a challenge, the disciples yearning for guidance. Jesus stopped. He listened. He spent time with them. He gave them his full attention. Nobody was insignificant. So don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said. Easy for him to say. He didn't even have a smartphone with a calendar app on it. Has He seen our tomorrows and emails? Does He know what we went through during our yesterdays? How can we be fully present with others when our past and our futures take up so much of our attention? But if God has given us all these gifts to enjoy, maybe the question is not how can we, but why shouldn't we? Mitch Album wrote a book called Tuesdays with Maury. And he wrote about his relationship he had with his former college professor who was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. And Album spent a lot of time in Mari's presence learning from a dying man about the true meaning of life. Listen to what Album wrote about Mari in his book, and imagine you're on the receiving end of Mari's attention. He said, I came to love the way Mari lit up when I entered the room. He did it for a lot of people I know. But it was his special talent to make each visitor feel like it was just for them. And it didn't stop with the greeting. When Maury was with you, oh, he was really with you. He looked you straight in the eye, and he listened to you like you were the only person in the world. How much better would people get along if their first encounter of each day were kind of like this, instead of a grumble from a waitress, a bus driver, or a boss? I believe in being fully present, Maury said— That means you should be with the person you're with. I'm talking now to you, Mitch, and I try to keep focused only on what's going on between us. I'm not thinking about something we said last week. I'm not thinking about what's coming up this Friday. I'm talking to you, and I'm thinking about you. Well, Album writes I remember how he used to teach this idea in the group process class at the university. He said, I scoffed back then, being younger, thinking this was hardly the lesson planned for a university. I Learning to pay attention, he said. How important could that be? Now, I know it's more important than almost everything else they taught me in college. Paying attention to one another is one of the greatest gifts we have to give. It means seeing the other person for who they are, not for what they can do for you. And I think all of us struggle with this sometimes. When life gets busy, we slip into relating to those around us, maybe in a utilitarian mode, like a tool. We start valuing others based on what they can offer us or what they can do for us instead of who they are. Our relationships then become purely functional. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, serve one another in love. He writes in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Try that as an American. Consider others better than yourself. Try that in church. In Romans 12, he writes, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Let me pause a moment and give you a story. Two years ago, I was on almost a four-hour flight to Washington State. And I, because I have so many miles, I upgraded. I had a first-class seat. And they bump me up easy because you got so much miles. Well, I'm in line in Dallas, Fort Worth, waiting to board, and this army guy, full, full battle gear, is on. He looks like he's about 250, big 6'2, two maybe, whatever, broad, wide, you know, tough. And so we're just talking in line. I appreciate your service. I talked to him. Where are you coming from somewhere? He was coming from Iraq. And I asked him, what did you do there? What was your mission? He said, I run the 50 caliber machine gun on the Jeep at Point. I'm out in front on convoys. I thought, dear Jesus, that'll up your stress factor. And so he had had a 22-hour flight just there on a military plane, which does not have lay flat seats. It doesn't have business class or first class. It's just got military class, a straight bench seat, and you sit on it. And they don't serve Chateaubriand and mixed drinks. So the point, the point was that's how I'd suffer. Now, we're talking, and God's talking to me while I'm talking to him. Then you've had this happen. I know. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have a first-class seat. And this sucker's flown 22 hours. He looks like he's about to drop dead. He's got a dangerous assignment. Uh, we're going to be on this airplane a long time. And he's a big guy in that economy seat. Dear Jesus, ain't going to fit him. Uh, and it's probably a middle seat, too. So, the Lord's telling me, why not you give him your seat? And I said, why don't you talk to somebody else? That's a freaking four-hour flight. Some of you say, I wish the Lord had talked to me. Let me tell you what's worse than God not talking to you when God talks to you. It's, it, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at this guy, he's tired, he's beat up, he's in a dangerous assignment, and I'm thinking, I ought to give him a seat. Now, you, you think, probably being the pastor and probably knowing that I, I am sinless, I probably immediately <laughs> responded. I struggled with that. I kept thinking, well, maybe somebody else will give him a seat. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody, you know, Lord, I, maybe I'm just trying to be my good nature, just goodwill. It's probably not the Holy Spirit at all. It's probably just my, just little pity and sympathy, but, but, but I knew better. So I'm going to do a good thing. And I ain't real happy about it. Sometimes that's what happens. It's almost never convenient. So I finally, after we'd had 10 minutes or so of talking, I says, look, you're beat up and tired. Take my seat. Let me have your seat. Oh, Jesus. When I looked at his seat, I had to go four miles in the back of that plane right up to the toilet. Last seat. Will not recline. No No window to look out. The jet engine is right there. It is noisy and loud in the back of the plane. And I thought, well, Merry Christmas. I'm going to be here for four hours. And then the Lord said, would you rather sit here for four hours or ride shotgun with him on a 50 caliber out at point? I thought, well, since you put it like that, I won't complain. Now, I'm glad I did it. But I wanted you to feel the tension so that you don't think something's wrong with you because inside you wrestle with it when God wants you to help somebody or do something for somebody or make a sacrifice because it's not always easy. And then you're wondering after you land, did I do the right thing (laughs) when you're getting off like this and you you need a chiropractor to get straight. I just shared that because it popped into my head. So the Bible makes it clear that our relationships are not there to serve us, but we're there to serve each other. Paying attention is a form of service. It's an act of love, especially to your spouse and your children. And what a gift it is, putting down our device, electronic device, turning towards our spouse or children when they ask a question, minimizing the computer screen when a friend calls, turning out the distractions around us, and focusing on the person in front of us. Look at this picture I found. I thought it communicates really well. Would you mind if I strap your iPhone to my forehead? (laughs) Then when I'm talking to you, I'll think you're actually looking at me. (laughs) You've been in restaurants, and you see people, they're not praying, it looks like it, they're all down in their phones, right? And people are talking, but nobody's paying attention. It's rude, and it is not right. There's so much need around us, but I believe the greatest need people have is to be heard, to be noticed, to be acknowledged, and accepted, and validated as a valuable human being. And and may I ask this? When you come into church— Okay, we've got our pals and friends, especially if you've been here a long time, but notice people. It's so easy in a crowd. Just walk by somebody hurting, somebody sad. Maybe somebody looks different than you. Maybe they look a little out of place. Make them feel in place. Notice, notice. Greet them. When I go out to greet people, once in a while somebody will try to monopolize you and give you their life story, which is called meet and greet, not meet and grind for a half hour. You know, I, I, that's just inappropriate because I want to meet visitors, and I'll see people lined up behind them to want to say something, and I'll just cut it off, and I'll say, excuse me, I want to, I want, I notice you. I see you. Have you ever been in a retail line in a store or parts store, any kind of a deal, and there's a crowd there, and what a relief it is when the person behind the cash register or something says, hey, I'll be right with you. All of a sudden, you feel like I got noticed. Okay, somebody's on the job. You feel good about that. So acknowledge people, let them know you see them, that you care. Hey, it's, I don't care what crowd they come from. I don't care how much different they are than you. Acknowledge people. Jesus had a knack of noticing the unnoticeable, the people everybody walked by and ignored, not good enough, not part of our crowd. I don't care what your career is, what your past is, or what your present is. I want to acknowledge you, glad to see you, God bless you. you, you people, Any people respond to that, you know, being noticed. I was gone two days, and my dog went crazy when I walked in, wanted to be noticed. And you know what that dog was saying in dog talk? Notice me. Notice me. And, uh, and I did. <laughs> I was talking to a person kind of recently who was dealing with a lot of loneliness, and at one point she said, you know, I just feel invisible. And I felt sad for her. I could tell her God sees her until my face turns blue, but until some human person takes time to pay attention to her, she has no reason to believe me. And there are people in our lives that we see, but we don't really see. Maybe somebody's crippled walking out. Maybe somebody's from another race, and they they look older and they're struggling. Why don't you make their day and smile and go up and talk to them? You'll learn something. My friend Henry King, who's trying to be now incognito, sitting over here with his lovely wife Rhonda, Henry, Henry told me, Rick, why is it white men wear shorts and flip-flops on freezing days? He said, you will never see a brother in naked flip-flops and shorts and a tank top. And I thought, why, Henry, you racist. I can't believe you said that. You, well, as I have been traveling in flights, it was 27 degrees in Norfolk, Virginia. The wind's blowing 20 miles an hour, so the chill factor is like, I don't know, 19. And these big white brothers get on in flip-flops, shorts, and tank tops, and they're all white. And I text Henry. I said, brother, this is coming true. I had, you have opened my eyes to see something. Now, all of you pay attention to that, too. I've seen them in church. I've seen them on airplanes, and I never thought about it, but it's true. Is there somebody around you whose very existence is dependent upon us paying attention to them? Paying attention is one of the most powerful forces in the world. Studies have been done on this, and it reveals that paying attention can actually shape People's life and their behavior. Attention is a powerful force. Attention is a valuable thing. And listen, if we don't just give it, we pay attention. It's like money. It is a cost factor. If you don't pay attention to your health, you're going to pay a doctor. If you don't pay attention to your marriage, you're going to pay, a, pay an attorney. If you don't pay attention uh, to the speed limit, you're going to pay a policeman but you're going to pay. If you don't pay attention, you're going to pay somebody. You're going to pay. So pay attention, and particularly to our spouse and to our children, now grandchildren, make them the most important thing in the work. Otherwise, they'll think, well, they don't have time for me, and they'll just blow on by because they're busy. Jesus pays attention, look back in the Bible, to insignificant-looking people, the people the publicans and, I mean, the Pharisees ignored. He noticed them. Jesus pays attention to you and me. Jesus says the work of God is not primarily about rules and regulations. It's primarily about people. Jesus is saying people are our mission, our business, our only business. It's not the building. It's not the mission and vision of summit or new buildings or a gymnasium. That's not the main thing. The main thing is people. People are the only thing. God loves people. So if you want to do the work of God, pay attention to people. All kinds of people different than you. Maybe politically different, racially different, maybe sexually different. We're not condoning anything. We're noticing. We're paying attention. We're trying to love people, and especially people that are ignored. Just be bold and notice them. You can't believe what it does to the heart. This is an old video I picked up but from the Washington, D.C. metro station. Take a peek. It's only a minute, and I'll tell you what just happened when you look at the video. Okay, this is John Bell, the world's greatest violinist, playing a three million dollar Stradivarius violin in Washington D.C.'s metro station, unnoticed. Did you see? One thousand seventy people passed by, paying zero attention, and out of that, only twenty-seven even stopped. They had no idea, because they were so busy, what they were passing by. No idea. So, folks, are we paying attention to God? Are we paying attention to the people He loves so much? Julia Richardson Brown put it this way, what matters is that we pay attention. What really matters is that we have somebody close by to grab hold of us as we watch and listen for some glimpse of Jesus among us. What matters is that we take off the blinders of the rat race and really see this world we live in. What matters is that we learn to be fully present in whatever moment we find ourselves, realizing that if we don't, all too soon, we will have missed so much. You know, folks, we've only been given a certain number of days in this life. The Bible says our days are numbered in His book. And I wonder how many of us, if we just thought about it, could look back and wonder how many days we flittered away, dwelling on yesterday or worrying about tomorrow, that we miss living right now in the moment with those around us? What have we missed that was right in front of us because we were too busy, too distracted, too worried to be present? We don't know how many days we have. I hope it's a lot more for everybody in here. But those days are still limited. You know, when I was young, I wanted to be old. Out of high school, out of college, old enough to drive, out on my own. (laughs) Now that I'm old, I wish I was younger, and I'd like to reclaim the time I've lost. But we don't have yesterday anymore. Can't go back. And we have no guarantee about tomorrow. The Bible says don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what today is. You may get knocked off out here in the parking lot. You don't know. You could be, suddenly have a stroke. You don't know. It happens all the time and way too frequently. You've only got today, this moment, this, this minute. And the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to bow your head with me. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, what is your life? Just a vapor that appears and then quickly vanishes away. Then Paul writes, today, not tomorrow, not next year, not when you get out of school, not when you get older, not when you get your problems behind you, today is the day Of salvation. Today is God's day to work in your life, to be a part of your life. Don't miss it. Seize the day. Take the moment you have. Don't brag about what you're gonna do or could do. This is the most important decision a human being can ever make. Don't let Jesus pass by unnoticed because you're too cool, too hot, or too busy. You take a moment to center your life. With the one who died to give you eternal life. And then it doesn't matter how many days you have, because you've got eternal life. God designed you to live forever, but He wants you to be forever with Him. And you do that by accepting His Son, and He gives you a gift. A gift is—we all had Christmas—a gift is something somebody else buys, pays for, and offers to you. And you you, can't—if you gave them money for it, Even less money than it cost. Now it's a purchase. No, no. It's a gift. Not by works. So nobody can brag. God only wants us to brag on Jesus. He did it all. He paid it all. So in this moment, can you be focused for a moment? Whatever is going to happen tomorrow will be enough for itself. But just live today. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Live fully today. Do what's good and what's right and what you ought to be doing today. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.